Welcome and thank you for joining and thank you for being here on a beautiful day. Sarah Carey, in honor of their parents, Joe and Trina, and Sonny and Joyce Dweck. And uh, Jack and I have developed a close relationship over the last few years, learning together and doing projects together and, and supporting different things that we've done together. And I am unbelievably grateful for how much of an impact he's had on the things that I've had an impact on, meaning how working together has helped create things and inspire things and build things. And so I always thank both the Jack and Sarah, and they have really, mashallah, the most beautiful children now. But I've got to them is that all of them follow a path of Torah and sport the way they dream. They have success in every area of their life, and that they find their children 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now exactly who they hoped that they would become. So it's an honor for today's class to be dedicated in honor of their parents, people who serve the community very well, people who care about the community and invested in the heritage of the community for many, many decades. So thank you, Jack, and thank you, Sarah. And it's an honor for today's class to be in honor of your parents. It's also dedicated, and I'm just gonna read this to you, recognition of Hashem saving my son Joey's life. Yosef ben Chana Besha. And you can give over parts of the story of California one year, one year ago, 21st day of our last year. I'll tell you the story later. So in recent weeks, I've gotten a lot of comments. And I think you've heard the comments too. Is our Torah very restrictive? Jewish woman made to just be covered up so that they can't have a life. Are they married just to have babies? A Hasidim or Hayadim very, very limited and don't allow women to be what they want to be. And women are just stuck at home, confined to the laws and the restrictions that other people tell them. And you know where these comments were inspired from? Something that I really don't want to talk about, so I'm not going to talk about, and I don't even think I'm even going to refer to it. You know what I mean? I mentioned it last week. But this inspired me to be give a class about this, about the beauty of a Jewish life, understand a little bit about how Hasidim lived, and what responsibility all of us have. So first let's talk about the beauty of a Jewish life. I know you know. I don't have to tell you how beautiful a Jewish life is. You're living a Jewish life and you know it's beautiful. But what I do want to understand when we talk about the beauty of a Jewish life is how does it work? Because how, because how it works, although you may know, instinctively you may know, but the ability to articulate it and understand it clearly makes a dramatic difference. And that's what I want to focus on right now. We'll get to the other points today as well. Our parasha is parashat ekev. And it opens with the statement, the famous one, If you follow the path of Hashem, you follow all these laws, the Basuk says that Hashem's going to give you all kinds of blessings. Hashem's going to give you children, grandchildren, and success, and plenty, and wealth, and all of the blessings someone can have if you follow the ways of Hashem. But it says the word ekev. What does ekev mean? Now she says ekev means a heel. And it refers to the mitzvot. Mitzvot karlot adam dash Small mitzvot. 
that people like Stepan with their heels, small misword that people can disregard. Those unappreciated, underrated misword, if you follow them, then they lead to all of the Virachah. There's a back end to this Pasuk. This Pasuk is in the beginning of the Parashah. Maybe 30 or 40 Pesukim later, you get the opposite Pasuk. If Kagoim Asher Hashem Ma'avim If like the Gentile nations that are being destroyed in front of you as you enter the land of Israel, if you follow that way, you'll be destroyed just like them. Ekev because it's got the same word, Ekev, you didn't listen to the voice of Hashem your God. So again, it's talked first says the word Ekev, those small misword that people step on, that if a person follows all those small misword, he gets unbelievable blessing. And then at the end, the back end, 40 Pesukim later, uses the same word Ekev, saying the opposite. That if a person is not Tishmaun, then they get destroyed like the, the, the Gentiles and the nations that destroyed in front of them. So my two questions are, why are you specific to the small misword? Why is it specific to the details? And why do you compare the destruction to the destruction of the nations in front of you? So we're going to answer this question in a few minutes. But I want to quote another pasuk in next week's parasha. It's a famous one. Hashem says, God says, look, because I'm putting before you Blessing and curse. The Midrash, the Sifri on that Pasuk, says, let me give you an analogy of what it's like. And this analogy is the key to the beauty of a Jewish life. Here's the analogy. There's a man, someone who's sitting at the fork road. There's a road going this way and a road going that way. And on the road, one road, has a lot of thorns in the beginning, but it's smooth after that. The other road is very smooth in the beginning, but it's very, very thorny after that. Which road do you pick? Thorns in the beginning, smooth at the end, or smooth in the beginning and thorny at the end? So most people, they were standing at that crossroad, they were saying, one second, look, this looks smooth. So let me go down that road. God says, look, I'm putting before you two roads. The road of life and the road of death. And here's how it works. The road that looks smooth in the beginning is often very thorny at the end. And the road that's thorny in the beginning is often very smooth at the end. That crossroad captures almost everything good in life. Almost everything good in life, you have a choice. Do I take the thorny in the beginning, smooth at the end, or do I take smooth in the beginning and thorny at the end? And I'll explain what I mean. Let's say a job. You can take a job that's easy. It's an easy job. Everyone wants an easy job. So you take that easy job, and the end result is an easy job is not going to give you that much financial results. So you do your easy job, and before you know it, you're struggling financially, and you're in the thorns, and you can't get out. Or you take a job that's difficult, maybe doesn't even pay you a dollar in the beginning. And you work it, and you work it, and someone comes to you and says, this is so tough, and you tell the person you're 22 years old, give it a minute, build it, build it, build it, because one day you'll get through the thorns, and then you'll, be, you'll see unbelievable success. Marriage is the same way. You can either choose right when you get married to do whatever you want, and I'll do whatever I want, I don't care. And he says, she says, what's the difference? I just do this and I come and I go and I do, and I don't care and I say what I want. And it feels good in the beginning because you say whatever you want, you're getting away with it. The next thing you know, you're stuck in the thorns. Or you take the path that's tough in the beginning. And you have to get in, and you have to compromise, and you have to bite your lip, and you have to communicate, and you have to do something you didn't want to do, and you have to give in to something, and you have to talk about it, and then you have to give, and then you have to work on yourself. And then you have to give. You're like, wow, this is difficult. It's thorny. But if you do it long enough, all of a sudden you see the fruits of a gorgeous marriage. It's 
kids at school, the same thing. You have some kids who say, I can do whatever I want. Homework, test, who cares? Great, so he's fun, he's having fun, tells his friends, I do what I want. I can't test tomorrow, what's the difference? There's a game tonight, or I'm playing a video game, or I have my fantasy. Who cares? And he's doing whatever he wants, and it's so smooth. Because his friend is sitting there working over the book, and he doesn't care about the book. He just does what he wants. And of course, you know the results. Or, the other friend is sitting and laboring over the work, and studying and doing the work, and it seems difficult and thorny in the beginning. But then it becomes, the results are fantastic at the end. Those are the two paths in front of you. I give blessing and curse. Blessing usually requires going through the thorns to experience the blessing. And curse usually means going through so much fun in the beginning that leads to ridiculous thorns at the end. Religious Jewish life is the same thing. Religious Jewish life the way it works and the beauty of it is not that you do what you want. You do restrictions first and limitations first. And it's thorny and it's difficult and you don't really want to do it sometimes. But once you do, it delivers fantastic results. Or you take the opposite route. You say, I do whatever I want. I don't care. Rules, restrictions, Shabbat. Kashrut, wearing, dressing, praying, and nonsense. And for a few years, it's a ton of fun. And then, boom, you have to live with the catastrophe of the results. I'll give you a great example that I think relates to everyone in this room. Any adult that keeps Shabbat well, any adult that keeps Shabbat well, loves it. Raise your hand. If you don't love Shabbat, well, no one's, oh, you don't love Shabbat? Oh, you do love it. I said, if you don't love it. Well, no one's going to have the guts to raise their hand anyhow. But, you know what it is? She loves Shabbat so much, she couldn't hold back. That's really how it is. Every adult Love Shabbat, like adores it. It's Wednesday now, you can't wait for Shabbat to come. Not every kid loves the restrictions of Shabbat, no. Some of them find it very annoying to not be able to go on a computer, turn on a light, or check a phone, or turn on music in a backyard. Because they're in the early parts of the road. And the early parts of the road are thorny. You gotta go through those thorns in order to see the results. I'll give you my example. I, I think I always appreciate Shabbat, but I remember once, one holiday that I didn't appreciate when I was young. I used to be a humongous sportsman, really, really big sportsman, especially the Yankees. And for years, we waited for this moment. When the Yankees would be in the World Series and play the Mets, Subway series. Everybody could, no one thought it was imaginable, even possible. And then, in 2000, it happened. The Yankees were going to play the Mets in the World Series. So for every Yankee fan, especially for all of us expecting to win, we couldn't wait. Subway series, this may never ever happen again. And it never happened before. And so they're going to play the World Series. And then you look at the schedule. And the first game was on Simchat Torah. And I remember that night like it was five minutes ago. Because I obviously don't have a TV and wouldn't turn it on on Shabbat. And I wouldn't even turn on, obviously wouldn't turn on a radio. You can listen to a radio on And I remember the night, that night of the holiday, sitting, and I'll admit it now, 20 years later, agonizing. I literally could not sleep at night. What the Yankees do tonight? What the Yankees do tonight? I woke up in the middle of the night at three in the morning, five in the morning. What the Yankees do? What it's Subway Series, they played the Mets. Like if they lost, life is over. So 
what they do, what they do. And I was so restricted, like, oh, I wish I could just listen to this game. I wish I could just go to someone's house and just watch the game. Why, why these laws are so restricted right now? I just want to find out what happened. I still remember waking up the next morning, going to school. I guess I was by my, my parents' house in Dio. And I remember crossing the street and seeing the newspaper on the floor. <laughs> and just seeing a small picture on the cover of someone on the Yankees jumping up and down. I said, oh, that's good news. And then I jumped up and down. But it felt restricted that night. But if you ask me the truth, even in the height of my sports fan days, the fact that I couldn't listen to a game or may not know what happened was part of the beauty. I didn't feel it when I was 18. I may not even felt it when I was 23. But at some point, the thorns lead to a gorgeous path of a beautiful path of Torah. So when someone shows you the beginning of the path, it's not fair. Because yeah, I know that the not Torah path, the beginning of that path is fun. I know you could do whatever you want. I know it looks much better than the Torah path because I know restrictions don't look easy in the beginning. But everything is live in that way. You know what, I wanna make a Netflix show called My Drug Life. And I'm gonna show you my drug life in the first six months of the drug life. And you're going to see me, you're going to say, wow, that looks fantastic. Taking cocaine or crack, I don't know if I be saying this in front of kids, but taking all kinds of drugs, high as can be, dancing, celebrating, enjoying, smiling, happy as ever. And you would take, and you take episodes of me, one night in one club, another night in another club, another night in a friend's backyard, and I would look like, wow, there's nothing better than this. Look how great his drug life is. And then, if I just stop the show, then you would get a complete lie. Because how about if you showed my drug life 10 years later? You might see me dead. Or you might see my life a mess. So it's unfair to just show the beginning of the path. You have to see where the path leads to. So if someone watches something that shows, wow, look, I'm doing whatever I want. Look how great my life is. Hey, you're lying to me. Because you're just showing me the first few steps of the path. Mazel tov, you marry a billionaire five minutes later, you're having fun. You think I'm supposed to all of a sudden say, wow, that life is the best life. No, it's a complete lie. Give me 10 years. Let me see your children in 10 years from now. When they're so confused, they can't see their way out of a paper bag. When they don't know who they are, who they want to marry, what they want to be, what they, where their background is, when they see, let me see the result. Don't just show me the first step of the path. That's a lie. Because I can also show you someone at the beginning of their gambling life, and that also looks unreal. Or I can show you at the beginning of their alcohol life, and that also looks fantastic. Let me see 10 years from now. Let me see how fantastic that looks. The beauty of the Torah life is the willingness to go through the thorns to see the gorgeous result. That's how it works. That's the core of the words, naseh v'nishma. We do before we get the results and before we feel it. We accepted to keep Shabbat before it felt fun and unbelievable and before it felt liberating. We accepted to keep Shabbat even when it felt very restricting. And even when there was a light that you accidentally forgot to leave on in your closet, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I can't look in my closet now and I can't figure out which socks, which pants, what to wear. I can't believe the lights are off. This is so restricted and it's so easy to just look on the light. Why can't I look on the light? That's when you accepted Shabbat even that way. And then, eventually, it became a day that you can't breathe in anticipation. You know my proof? Let's take our community for a second. People change. In the world, people change everything. You have adults who change their jobs. 
You have adults who change their friends. You have adults who sadly change and their marriages. People change everything. You even have adults in the world today that change their gender. Very, very infrequent for you to find a religious adult abandon their religion. You know why? Because every person who's gone through the path and went through the thorns and then saw the beauty wouldn't give it up for the world. If you came to me tomorrow and said, Rabbi, you can start using your computer on Shabbat, you can start opening up your lights, you can start cooking, you can start driving, you can send emails, you can check your phone, you can watch ball games. If you told me that, you could talk about the weekday. If you told me all those things, I would say, please, no. 30 years ago, I probably would have said, thank you, that's a favor you did for me. But once I went through the path and see the results, no one wants to give it up. You don't find adults that are religious, that care about religion, that all of a sudden stop. Because it's so gorgeous, and it's so awesome, and it's so beautiful, with all of its restrictions, it's so beautiful, and so gorgeous, and so fantastic, and how much it enhances our marriage, and our families, and our lifestyle, and our happiness, and our spirituality, and our, and our emotional strength, and our focus, and our caring, our sense of purpose, everything we want, our children, it's everything for us. Don't show me some person five minutes in who's right at the beginning of the right at the beginning of the path who's enjoying everything and say, oh, look how bad Torah is. Someone gave me a whole bunch of articles a couple of days ago. I read a few of them. And one of them they had a picture. Like a before and after you get to see how much of a lie Hollywood is. So the before picture shows you this couple could not possibly look more hazif in their world. Looked like I think they just walked up a whole hike or something. And she's in a snoot and she's in baggy pants, the guy. And she's in, you know. And then they saw a picture of the after. And now you see her. She's standing next to another actress, and life was perfect. You're such a sketch. Here's why you're such a fake. Because I could take two pictures of, of anybody on the same day and make them look horrible and great. I could take a girl on her wedding day, take a picture where she looks unbelievable, and on the same day, four hours before, I could take a picture of her where she looks terrible, where she just woke up, still in pajamas, hair going every direction, before all those ladies came to the house with the, the, with the nails and the hair and the eyes and the da-da-da, and I could she look the worst on the same day. So don't tell me before and after you took the worst picture she ever had from before and the best picture she ever had after, and that's your comparison, you're just lying to me. Every day of someone's life, I can give you a picture that makes you look terrible, makes you look great. So you want to make like the Hasidic lifestyle look terrible? So you find her after she walked on a whole hike, her and her husband 50 years ago, where they look as ancient as can be and as outdated as can be and as exhausted as can be, and that's your before picture. And then the after picture is on a day that she's meeting another actress, so she, that, that's not fair. It's just lying. Did I make my point clear enough? So I want to give you a little background on Hasidim because I think this is important. See, our Torah is our Torah. Our Torah never did change and never will change. But how it's packaged does change. And to give you like a small example of what I mean, you know, nowadays, a lot of people get their Torah through listening to rabbi speeches and classes online, or reading the tens of thousands of books in English that have inspiring ideas, thoughts, stories. 30 years ago or 40 years ago, there was probably 5% of the amount of rabbi speeches that there are today. But the world changed, so the packaging changed, 
And that's how people want to hear it now. So that's why almost every religious Jew has some form of listening to some Torah in the car or listening to a two-minute clip every day because that's the packaging of today. And everyone has religious English books in their house because that's the packaging of today. 40 years ago, maybe there was not one class on Tisha B'Av. It wasn't a thing. The Shabbat, you went to shul, you sat on the floor, you cried, you went home, sat on the floor, did nothing all day. That's what the Shabbat was. Now the Shabbat probably is the number one class day, speech day of the whole year. Go to the Jewish magazines a week before the Shabbat, everywhere in the country, they're having different, every rabbi is speaking somewhere else. The, the, the Torah doesn't change, but the packaging changes. So you see the Jews in Europe, in Russia, in Ukraine, in the 18th century, were very downtrodden. And they were in trouble. They had just gone through, and a few decades before, they had gone through an episode of Shabtai Tzvi, which was this faith Mashiach that many people followed. And so the Jews were in bad shape. And what they needed was not a new Torah, but they needed new packaging for and along came this man named the Baal Shem Tov and a bunch of his students, including the Magyar of Mezrich and other students. And the Baal Shem Tov says, I need a new approach. Same Torah, new approach. And he came up with a new approach. And the new approach was where the simple man who may not be the most learned, and because he can't be the most learned, because in that day he may be going to work, but he's seven years old and doesn't have that much time to really become learned and educated in what's going on in the world at that time, the poverty that was in those neighborhoods at that time. And so he says, I need to take this downtrodden, uneducated man and elevate him. So he added a tremendous amount of joy to the packaging of Judaism where they have a tish, where they come to the Rebbe and they sit and they eat and they sing and they dance. Where they have a divekun Hashem, where they have an opportunity to feel a unique connection to Hashem through prayer, even if they're not learning and even if they're not smart, even if they're not educated. Where in other places like Germany and places like that, Judaism meant intelligence. But in these areas, it meant uplifting the simple person. And part of what they did is, yes, they took upon themselves some of the humrot that make their life very simple. Their dress is simple, their, what they do is simple, how they you know, worship Hashem is simple. They took a lot of the complications out of it. And for tens of thousands of people, this packaging resonated. And it was controversial at the time. There were rabbis who were against it. There were rabbis who said, you're going to make create a religion without emphasizing the study of Torah. And they said, yes, because there's people here who can't study Torah, so I need to come up with a new packaging. And through that simplicity, through every man wearing the exact same outfit, through all the women looking pretty much the same, for that time period, it resonated in a very, very powerful way. And to this day, Hasidim were probably the most decimated during the Holocaust of any group of Judaism. And from right after the Holocaust to today, the last 70 years, Rebbe's of small amount of people, the Sama Rebbe, the Bababa Rebbe, the Belzer Rebbe, the Ger Rebbe, these small groups of rabbis took people again who were downtrodden and, and built them up and there's tens of thousands of them. And I'm telling you, and knowing some of them, not being so close to everyone in that community, but knowing some of them, that you go to places like Williamsburg and Muncie and Borough Park and Monroe, they're happy. They're genuinely happy. Because for a lot of people, simplicity makes you more happy, not less. And all the details of observing Torah and doing it that way and is, adds only to their happiness. And that's what the Basu means. If you follow the details of the Torah, it leads to a tremendous amount of benacha. But if you choose the opposite path and you say, I can't handle the details of the Torah because I want to be like society and I want to celebrate right now. Kagoyim, that means I want to be like society that does what they want right now. The results often are catastrophic. Back two years ago, almost exactly to the day, 
I went, we went to Israel, my son's mom, Israel. And we stayed in an area that was right near a Hasidic neighborhood. So on Friday night, we went to the Bells of Tish. And it's a humongous room with thousands of Hasidim on bleachers. And the Rebbe sitting at the table. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever seen. They sang. They stayed there forever. I left at 12.30 at night and they were like still having kiddush. And they were just singing and enjoying and it was genuine, you could see it. Because sometimes being insulated and being simple, it means being happy. A lot of people are like that. A couple of times, I see this. I was happy as could be. I used to have a neighbor who was He was as happy as could be. Don't judge someone else's happiness based on if I was in that situation, I would be happy. It doesn't work that way. Some people are happy in the situation they're in, the way they're raised, the way they're brought up, and they're happy that way. But if I was that way, I wouldn't be happy. But they are happy. You know how I know? Because when I was studying in Kolel, probably the simplest time in my life of living in a house that we bought for under $100,000, making almost no money every single week, and we supported a little and a wife that was working every day, and all it seemed to, you would have said, wow, that doesn't seem like the best life. It was the unbelievable years of my life. It was simple, but it was awesome. Yes, broken down cars and struggling financially to some degree. It was simple and no going vacations and definitely nowhere fancy, and it was still awesome. And you might say, but I don't see how that could be awesome. Don't judge happiness by what it looks like to you. Because one person likes steak and the other one likes French toast. So when you look at Hasidim, don't judge and say, well, do I want to be like that? I don't care if you want to be like that. They have a lifestyle that's been here for a few hundred years that a vast, vast, vast majority of them really cherish and love and are very happy with. And if you've ever interacted with a Hasidic woman or if your husband's ever done work with Hasidic men, they look like they're having a good time. They're having fun. A lot of them are working. A lot of them are very successful, doing great things. What beautiful families. They're happy. So just because some person in Hollywood decides to make a, to make some series to make them portray it as if they're as restricted and Hazid cases, that's not fair. You're just lying to me. I can make anyone look restricted. I can make some guy toiling at work at six in the afternoon also look like his life is horrible. I can make anybody's life look horrible and I can make anybody's life look great. So don't let Hollywood tell you which life is great and which life is horrible. Because I'm telling you the reality is not, rea not reality TV. Reality is that there are tens and hundreds of thousands of Hasidim across the world that are living their simple lives wearing the same thing every day and the husband wearing the same thing and the wife wearing the same thing and having 15 kids and they're awesomely happy. And no, their wives don't feel like they're locked in a closet and don't do away the key. They're happy living this way. But here's our responsibility. And I think this might be the most important part of this course. Because I think this is very important. The Pasuk says in Mishlei, you know the Pasuk. The path of Torah is beautiful. And all of its road of Torah is beautiful. But all of its paths are peace. What does that mean? That means it's that, like I said before, the Torah is what it always was and always will be. But the packaging of the Torah is dependent on us to do a great job with. And we have a responsibility to our children, to our friends, to anybody that lays eyes on us. We have a responsibility to make sure that we package this awesome gift called Torah in a beautiful way. Because here's the reality. If I gave you a thousand dollars, I walked off the stage, went over to someone and said, here's a thousand dollars because you're a loser and a Hazid case and you're unsuccessful and you never got anything right in your life. So take a thousand dollars. There's not one person in this room that would feel good about it. But if I woke up the same stage, went to the same person and then reversed it and said, here's a thousand dollars because I appreciate your loyalty. 
And because I know how beautiful a job you're doing and raising your family and working hard and maybe they're right now going through a little bit of a different difficult time. So I just wanted to give you this gift out of appreciation for all that you did. The thousand dollars would feel completely different. It's the same thousand dollars, but the packaging is different. And based on the packaging, that's how it's received. So what obviously goes on in the Jewish world is that many of us do a great job at packaging the thousand dollars, but many of us do a terrible job. And many of us don't know how to give over that package to our spouse, to our children, to our friends. And so we take that same thousand dollars, that beautiful gift, and stuff it down their throat. How do you not do that? Why aren't you doing it? Why are you dressed that way? How can you wear that? How can you say that? And before you know it, your packaging is the problem. The Torah was never a problem in anybody's life ever. But the packaging was. And I told you I grew up in a very yeshivish background. I went to Lakewood schools when I was a little boy and the town was as yeshivish as it's ever been. Everyone in my class was a Rosh Hashiva son. And I remember the first time someone in that town went off the path, went off the day of the Torah. Everyone was perfect until this one kid. I remember his name. I remember seeing him riding on a bike with a shirt, a button shirt that was open with a t-shirt underneath. It really wasn't the liquid look. And I remember saying to myself, wow, what happened? And before you knew it, it became an epidemic in the town where hundreds and hundreds of families had a son or a daughter went off the path. And suddenly people started to realize what we're doing isn't wrong, but how we're packaging is a problem. And we're not packaging it well to our children, then we're to blame why they don't appreciate it anymore. Or why they don't sound like I told you before, you don't ever find an adult going off the path, but you do find kids going off the path. And sadly, sometimes a lot of kids, because somehow it wasn't packaged right. It wasn't embraced right. It wasn't given the proper excitement and energy. And maybe it wasn't given the proper individuality, because you know what the Basuk means when it says, means the path of Torah is beautiful. means that that's the big road is beautiful. Within the big road, there are small paths. The Tibotel is the small paths. And you have to be able to find the small path for each person that's shalom, that's peaceful for them. That doesn't mean go off the road. It means within the road, you have to get good at finding those small paths. How do I package it for my 12-year-old son? How do I package it for my 20-year-old daughter? How do I package it for my 10-year-old daughter who's struggling with something right now? How do I communicate it to a friend who's not really in the mood to hear it right now? How do I say it? How abrupt do I say it? How tough do I say it? How condescending do I say it? How demeaning do I say it? How do I say it? How do I package it? How do I present it? Let me give you a great example. As I told you, that this class is dedicated by a woman in honor of her son who got into an accident last, last year. Here's the story. Son's name is Joe. Joey is my third child and my only son. His father wasn't a strong presence in his life, and he was acutely aware of being the Ben Yafi, the only child. Going to an old boys Jewish day school was good for his social life, but there was one issue that kept coming up that apparently wouldn't have been a problem in other Jewish communities, but was a problem in ours. People here didn't like his nickname. They pushed back and flat out refused to call him Joey, because Joey was a Goyish name. The mother says, I pushed back too, and reminded these very from people that a nickname is a nickname. I assured, him that when, I assured them when he's called to the Torah, he'll be called Yosef. But at home and in the playground, and his extended family, why can't you just call him Joey? It's okay. But apparently it wasn't, not to these people. For a number of reasons, Joey built a life completely off the path of Torah. 
Some of those individuals who so brazenly embarrassed him as a child and refused to call him by his preferred name are smug about this turn of events. They believe he isn't from today because of his nickname, Joe. I wonder if he might still be Shomer Shabbat if this hadn't been a problem when he was growing up. If he had a role model, model like Rabbi Joey Haber, his name is Joey. But you have to know, says his mother, that I love him unconditionally, as I do all my children. Someone actually asked me once, why do you go west and visit him? I mean, she said, he's, he's not from or anything, so why do you visit him? And I told this woman that I love my children, my love for my children isn't based on they're doing what I want. Each one is a gift from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and I'm proud of his accomplishments. I revel in his success and commiserate over his setbacks. We talk about everything and nothing will ever change him. One year ago, while traveling on a California mountain in a borrowed Nissan Estera, in a remote part of the countryside, he was forced off the dirt road by a drunk driver. The car rolled down a steep hill and came to a rest on a boulder that pierced the engine. Pretty much everything in the car was destroyed, except Joe. Haste Hashem, he escaped with hardly a scratch. An ironic twist, she says, the drunk driver who caused the accident actually stopped, picked him up, and drove him to the nearest phone to call for help. I know Hashem saved my son's life, and I think he knows it too. But Joey's story isn't over. Maybe one day he'll return to the Torah Berech, or whatever he chooses to do, I'm just glad he's alive and well. The ending that you want didn't happen yet. To find out that he returned home and became everything his parents hoped didn't happen yet. But to think that a boy felt alienated because of his name, Joey? Are you joking? Joey's the best name in the world. <laughs> but are you, are you joking? Are you joking within the within the great gorgeous road of Torah? You couldn't find the Tivotel, you couldn't find the path of peace for a boy with a nickname that wasn't Yasi or Chaim or Yitzi. You're kidding? So we have a responsibility as beautiful as Torah life is, we have a responsibility to package it, to package it the right way, to make sure people realize and see in it that it is gorgeous. And that there are, there are things that are made, you know, someone once asked me this, and I'll basically conclude with this story, maybe I'll tell you one more story. One of the phrases that in this community, people hate hearing from a rabbi, is, it's better not to. It's okay, but better not to. Rabbi, you're confusing me. Just tell me the answer. But I want to tell you the reality. If you know halacha well, there are a ton of halachot, that are okay, but better not to, or better to do it this way, but you can try it if you need to, you can do it that way. And it frustrates people, because people like clarity, why is the halakhan this way? And the truth is, I almost never listen to other rabbi's speeches, because I'm afraid I'm just gonna wanna say what they said. But a few years ago, I heard a class from Rabbi Reisman, you heard of him, he's in Brooklyn. And he said, why do we have so many things, why do we have all these phrases? He says, here's why. Because the Torah is a wide road with space for a lot of people and a lot of different life scenarios. And there are times where the right thing to do is this, but if you can and it's easy, do that. But when it's hard, you don't need to do it. Because the Torah finds the paths for you. So when my kids ask me on a fast day, Dad, what time does the fast end? I know what time I end the fast. But I look at my daughter, she's 12, and she's skinny as a bone, and she can barely stand up, and it's a fast day that she was nervous about for a week before. I'm gonna find the earlier time for her. And when other kids in my family ask me, Dad, what better how you make on pizza? Now the reality is I make better how you make on a half a slice, I make hamotzi. But I know some of my kids that can't handle hamotzi. Now you might say it's not the end of the world to say hamotzi. But I'm going to tell you that it's not the end of the world to say this or not and do what Moshe Feinstein says is fine. So I may not hold that way, 
But if I could find a path, if I could find something that maybe is okay to do, even though it's better not to, and that's going to help them at this stage of their life, that's my responsibility. We don't have a responsibility to, for the Torah. The Torah is there. It's not changing. We have one job, to package it. To find the path within the road that makes people appreciate it. What's the Kiddush Hashem mean, says the Gemara. simple definition of Kiddush Hashem is God should be loved because of you. Now what does that mean, God loved because of me? It's His Torah, I didn't write the Torah, so what does because of me mean? How is it up to me? The answer is, you're right, He wrote the Torah, but He left it up to me to package it. So if I'm doing a bad job packaging it, I'm making a chalul Hashem. If I'm doing a great job packaging it, then I'm making kiddush Hashem. So to think that there are communities where women feel disrespected or restricted because somehow the Torah wasn't packaged well to them, whoever that man was, whoever that rabbi was, whoever that father was, whoever that teacher was, she's going to answer one day. Because you caused Joey to be go to the West Coast and have nothing to do with his religion. Because you packaged it wrong. No, don't tell me, oh, he just couldn't handle Shabbat. Or he couldn't handle the Halakhot. That's not true. Nobody rejects Torah. There are people who reject the packaging of Torah. But no one rejects Torah. Torah is gorgeous and it's awesome for every person because there's space and there's room and there's lanes within the highway of Torah for everybody. Shut the not package it. Let me give you one last story. So there's a rabbi who would visit the jails sometimes. And he would go to the jails in Israel and ask the jail guards, I want to teach Torah here. The guards would say, teach Torah here, are you kidding? He says, here's all I ask you to do. Knock on each cell and tell the people, there's a rabbi here who wants to teach in Torah. Whatever they do, they do. And they would do that. And many of the inmates would come, they have nothing else to do, and they would come and they study Torah with the rabbi. Every week that he came, he noticed they, they knocked on every cell but one. He says, why don't you ever knock on that cell? He didn't even try. He said, no, rabbi, that cell is Yuval. Yuval is the scariest prisoner you've ever seen in your life. We, we, he stays in there for 23 and a half hours a day. A half hour every day, we take him out of the cell and we let him go outside for fresh air, bring him right back in. He is so dangerous, you can't even imagine, you can't even be around other prisoners, you can't even be around the other prison guards. Now he says, please let me go in. Are you nuts? Please let me go in. I'll sign every waiver you want. Let me go in. So he signs every waiver and they open the door and he goes in. Sure enough, Yuval is everything they describe him to be. Big, tall, scary, hair, broken teeth, tattoos on his whole body. And he says, what are you doing here? He says, I'd like to just talk to you and hear your background. And Yuval starts talking about when he was eight years old and how his parents abandoned him and crying and all that he did. And the rabbi just sat and listened and talked and talked and then spoke about Hashem and about Abraham Avinu and how he discovered God and the Akiva and late years in life and the whole thing. After about two hours, the rabbi had this little idea. He said, this is scary, but I'm going to try it. He says, Yuval, do you want to put these on? And he pulls out Tiflin. Now, why is it scary? Because Tiflin has leather straps, which could be a weapon. Yuval says, I'll try So the rabbi rolls up his sleeve to put on the Tiflin Shariyad. And he looks right where you're supposed to put the Tiflin Shariyad. There's a horrific, obnoxious tattoo. So the rabbi's like, I'm not sure, put it on. Well, he hesitates for a second. He's like, I'm going to put it on. And he puts it right on this horrible tattoo. He puts the Tiflin on. He takes him off, walks out of the cell. The, the prison guards can't even believe he's still alive. He said, no, what are you doing? He said, I just talked to him. That was it. A week later, he comes back and he visits Yuval's cell with the Tiffany. And they're talking and they're learning. And then finally, Yuval says, Rabbi, do you have those Tiffany? I want to try them on again. So the rabbi says, well, I can't believe you're asking. He says, okay, let's do it. And he rolls up Yuval's sleeve and he sees a horrible scar. He says, Yuval, what is that? He says, I'll tell you what it is. 
He says, I saw when you tried to put the tefillin on last week, I saw you hesitated. And I felt bad because I knew that that tattoo was obnoxious. So I asked the prison guard the different soaps and chemicals, and I burned the tattoo out of my arm. And that's why I have a scar. The rabbi put the tefillin on and knew I wouldn't something. And you know what the truth is? Everybody's like that. Everybody, if you package it right, would put on tefillin. If parents knew how to do it, if mothers knew how to do it, if grandmothers knew how to do it, if fathers and grandfathers knew how to do it, if every rabbi knew how to do it, and they knew how to give the hug at the right time, shake the hand at the right time, smile at the right time, find the strictness at the right time, and find the leniency at the right time, and know when it's better to or when it's better not to, and what to allow, what to ignore for a little while, and how to make it seem funny and friendly and smart and chill and relaxed and enjoyable. Everyone's in. Because the path of Torah, yes, it has thorns in the beginning. Yes, sometimes it's difficult. Yes, you scratch your feet. Everyone's gone to sleep at night and said, oh, that law was tough. I'm away and I have to eat kosher. That was hard. But the reality is, once you find yourself, if you have enough conviction and commitment to stay on that road, it ends up being gorgeous. Marriages are better, children are better, lifestyles are better, every day of the week is better, happiness is everywhere, purpose is everywhere, meaning is everywhere, parents are happy, children are happy, there's so much beauty. So when you keep hearing this one story thrown at you in the news, lying to you about the perception of how before and after and how life would be great if only you could get rid of your Jewish husband and marry an Italian billionaire. Don't believe the lies that are portrayed. I'm not saying she's not happy right now. She might be. But don't believe the lies that are portrayed. Don't believe someone who's showing you their drug life on the first night of taking drugs. But watch the pets and speak to actual people who've lived Torah lives for a long time and see how they feel about it. Not how some of them feel about it, how virtually every single one of them feels about it. But to view different people across the world and different types of Jews and their different types of lifestyles and to judge them and to decide if I would be happy if I were them is a dumb idea to do. Because you don't know what happiness looks like to me and I don't know what it looks like to you and you don't know what it looks like to people in Monroe. So to know what happiness looks like is a dumb thing to do. But to embrace it and take the responsibility to package it and deliver it the right way is the responsibility of every single Jew. Because the Torah is gorgeous as long as you package it right. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.